Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear those co-hosts shout him. It is good to be here on today's uh, episode of Hear That Podcast, Ground Special Live Room Edition, presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison here, working for you, excited to be here. Hey, it's a good day, right? This should, I, I, I imagine we'll have some happy customers. Uh, no reason not to be. Uh, judging by Twitter, everybody's just happy and the world's a perfect place right now. Get, let's get this thing rolling. We've got Bengals win 41-21. And so uh, you've got them sitting now at 9-6. and six. Got the playoff picture in front of me here. Kansas City comes to town next week with the number one overall seed. And uh, they've got their division wrapped up 11-4. and four. Jay, as you pointed out, the number one seed not technically out of the picture, but I kind of view this week as not about the number one seed. I mean, to me, it's about, okay, real team, class of the AFC. They've won eight in a row. The offense has showed up to join their defense. They've scored 36, 34, 48 the last three weeks. They've allowed 10 points or less in four of the last five games. Real team, Super Bowl contender, legit favorite to be in Super Bowl. In your house, you're healthy. They knock on wood on that one. We'll learn more. And you've got a chance to see where you really stand. Like, where is this team? This is, there's no more excuses about the other team didn't have this. And, and oh, the North has been weak. And, you know, uh, Denver, their offense stinks. And Teddy Bridgewater. And this is it. This is okay. You got your horses. This is the pre-playoff look. How real is this team this year, right now? And I think that's an exciting thing to have going on for Week 17. Yeah, I mean, it has real ramifications and it has future ramifications because, I mean, how confident are Bengals fans? How confident are Bengals players and coaches going to be if 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 they come out and they – they lay another egg trying to go for three in a row. Then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, what's, what are the playoffs going to look like? Because we're going to be playing a real team come playoffs. So, you know, that's going to be in the back of their minds. But it, and the other thing is too, it is that while the number one overall seed is in play here still, it's a, it's, <laughs> It's a cart before the horse kind of thing. I mean, before you can really start thinking about the number one seed, you you have to sew up the division. And they can't do that until they win this game. That's that's when they can really start thinking about number one seed. Just laying it out for people that are interested, what would have, have to happen is the Bengals would have to win out. And the Chiefs obviously would 
lose to the Bengals as part of the Bengals winning out, then they would also have to go to Denver and lose in week 18. And you need the, you need the Titans to lose one of their final two. And they're, they're playing the Dolphins and the Texans. So it's a long shot. But the main thing is win this game, win the division, get in, get a home game and then see where things go. And you take that confidence. If you, if you win this game, <laughs> you, you do, you take that confidence of beating a real quality team, not just a quality team, but a team, peaking as you said they are on fire right now look people were burying the chiefs earlier in the year they got it straightened out really because of their defense this hasn't been the chiefs offense that we've seen of past years so you wonder when that's going to get going and catch up with this defense i think that the Bengals should be hopeful that's not until week 18 yeah i'm really i'm really excited to dive into the chiefs film this week and look a little bit at their evolution and where they're at offensively in particular um, and kind of what has turned the corner for them and what they're doing so well on defense. Cause I mean, talk about a fun matchup as the, you know, the Bengals are kind of feeling themselves offensively and the chiefs are feeling themselves defensively. <laughs> and it's going to be, uh, it's just, it's just a fun game. It's all you, it's, it's why you like the NFL. It's why you like the teams you like. If you're here, maybe you like the Bengals or you're maybe you're hate listening from another team. I don't know, but you know, it's, this is kind of why you do it. This is this is why you hang out for games like this. That who knows? It could be a preview of a matchup that you'll see in the playoffs at some point. It could it could exactly be that. Um, the other side of this, let's stop with all that positivity, Jay. <laughs> is this can go the other way pretty badly? I mean, you're talking about. Uh, the, if the favorites play out this weekend, you would have, you know, the Bengals are four and a half point dogs. The Ravens are three and a half point dogs. The Steelers are three point dogs against the Browns. If that happens, it sets up a winner take all week 18 game between the Bengals and Browns for the North. A team that beat them, you know, by a bunch, 41 to 16 uh, here. And nobody, I don't think, really likes the idea of that, of having to go on the road in a winner-take-all game against a team that beat you by a bunch earlier this year. So that hangs in the back of your mind as well, and we'll see how those results play out, but you won't know those results fully uh, when you take the field against the Chiefs. So there's a chance that you can we can be sitting here talking about the number one seed and playoff contender and all that stuff. There's also a chance you could be talking about them being in some nasty, muddled 9-8 and eight tiebreaker um, if they can't finish the job here, which is also, you know, a real possibility. So it, it sets up a lot of different things to stay for the, for the next couple of weeks. And, um, we'll see where it all ends. I want to get to your questions you not have us waste too much time blathering on. Cause we have plenty of time to do that on HTBG tomorrow and the, and, uh, you know, on our growler preview episode and all that stuff. So if you have a question that you'd like to ask, just request, uh, to to speak, we'll put you on the stage. Uh, we'll try to pe- bang through as many of these as we can. All right, let's start at the top. Let's go with uh, Kyle K. Kyle, you there? You need my need. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. What's going on? Not much. How are you guys doing? Um, so I just had a yeah, I just had a question about uh, obviously the Chiefs game next week. So. Do you, do you think that if they lose to the Chiefs, it is going to be a situation where they have to win in Cleveland to make the playoffs? Or is there a route that they could make it without, you know, winning the division? They could maybe get in the wild card with a 9-8 and eight record because 
I got to be honest, I don't like the idea of going to Cleveland in January 9th. It's probably going to be the coldest game this team's played all year. They've gotten really lucky with weather. Um, if you look at like Denver, a lot of the Cincinnati games have been really warm. They have not really been playing in a lot of like cold weather. So it seems like this Chiefs game might be the one they actually have to win, which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, if they, I mean, they win, they win the Cleveland game. That's the big one. I, but I'll say this, and thanks, Kyle, for the question. I mean, y- let's look at that. I mean, it's just a mess. You got, you've got teams that you've beaten. You got Vegas at eight and seven. You got Baltimore at eight and seven. The Chargers are there at eight and seven. Um, you, you got obviously the Browns in this scenario. The Browns would be coming all the way up from twelve to the four hole, um, where they currently sit. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh would have been eliminated um, by virtue of losing Miami. You know, we'll see what happens with them. We'll be watching them tonight. They could be up in that eight and seven mix uh, as they try to finish off their schedule. There's there's you'll end up in, in a tiebreaker situation with something for a couple of spots. And the Bengals are pretty good in tiebreaker because of conference record. Now they're seven and three, which is great. But in this scenario, you're talking about their seven and five. So, Maybe somebody comes up. It's just, yes, there's absolutely a way that they are still in the playoffs at nine and eight. Absolutely there is. Um, but you're taking it to chance and you're probably needing some results to fall your way. There's also, they, they can go 0 and 2 and win the division even. And right. It's not, I mean, it's not anything you would want to be rooting for. But if, if Pittsburgh beats Cleveland, Cleveland's done. They can't win the division. And then, then you would need Baltimore to beat Pittsburgh in week 18, and you would need the Rams to beat Baltimore in week 17. Then it doesn't matter what the Bengals do. They, they win the division. But again, that's not anything you want. Although it, it, I'm really curious to see, well, this will probably be a big discussion a week from now on next Monday's live room. Who are Bengal fans rooting for in the Brown Steelers Monday night game? Because you're going to have to root for one of these those teams that you're not used to rooting for, and I, I would imagine it's it's root for the Steelers, eliminate the Browns because if the Browns are eliminated, that that, that kind of takes some of the incentive out. I mean, yeah, they would like to play spoiler, but it it doesn't. It, they're obviously not going to have the same fire going into that finale against the Bengals with nothing on the line but spoiling the Bengals season as they would going in with a playoff berth on the line. I don't think there's. I don't think that's. A, I don't think that's even a, for me a close conversation. I, it's, I. I think the only scenario where the Bengals aren't winning this division, a realistic one, is the Browns beating them. Because, like you said, if the Browns are eliminated, which they would be if they lose to the Steelers, they are cashing it in. Yeah. Baker's not playing. I mean, who knows who's even playing in that game? I Josh Johnson. <laughs> Johnson signs with the Browns and comes over and plays. I mean, not not only there's they have a lot of guys that are banged up. They've been through a lot this year. They're going to have one foot to to the offseason, just like we saw the Ravens. We just were talking yesterday about the Week 17 Ravens Bengals last year, where they hardly had anybody. They were eliminated. And everybody was thinking about getting the hell out of there. Thirty eight to three, four hundred four rushing yards by the Ravens. Like it's those types of games that you see coming, and then you'd still. I, I just. To me, that's the only scenario at this point that that concerns me when you look when you look at the whole thing. So I think you're absolutely rooting for the Steelers. A total sham and aren't good. Let's not forget that. Like uh, you know, you you can't trust them to do anything. Uh, so 
for me, that's the only one that I'm, I'm actually worried about. Let's, let's crank through some more questions um, and bring up Sahil D. Are you here? Hey, can you hear me? I can. Yes. What's going on? Uh, thanks so much for taking my call. You guys are great. Uh, so I'm I'm curious not to think too ahead, uh, but at this point, do you guys think that uh, the Bengals re-sign Uzama? Like, he's obviously been good, but is not on a Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey type of level. Do you think they re-sign him or try and go uh, and draft someone? Yeah, I mean, that it's it's a good question. I mean... They've got so many other more pressing needs. It, it's gonna, it's gonna factor into what way they want to go in free agency. It's gonna factor into CJ too. I, you, you could see knowing CJ, uh, him not being a, a break the bank, take the highest offer type of guy. Now he's not going to give a huge hometown discount, but he likes it here. He loves his coaching staff. He loves his teammates. He, he's had a good career. And if he, if he tastes some playoff success and he sees what they've got building with Joe Burrow, I, I could see him sticking around and, and you know, not like I said, not a hometown discount, but at a reasonable cap number. Well, it's not like he had a massive number previously. I mean, you're you're talking about somebody who, you know, six per you know, this is very reasonable for mm-hmm. his position. He's going to be 29. He's had an Achilles. He's not, while he's of solid tight end, and I think he's one of the more underrated, you know, weapons because of what's around him. Um, you know, he's not going to be a break the bank guy anyway. So for me, um, you know, I, I don't think they would have a problem getting him signed. And also, he it's a direct correlation to the rookie contract for Joe Burrow. I mean, when you have mm-hmm. a quarterback on a rookie deal and you have money, you're able to make moves like that. And you could sign him for two or three years and not really be affected by the big money that you're going to have to pay to Burrow down the line. So I, I don't think they'll have a ton of problems signing CJ. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that there's an, an easy agreement to be made there and they'd like to probably keep that thing, keep that thing rolling. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying, or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. see zach d uh zach d you are up on stage what's going on i uh, you know i'm doing good just took uh took my lunch break at work so i could really get in the vibe of uh of the stage here i like uh, it i like appreciate it, it. um you know I, i'm sitting here i'm wearing my my black on stripes don't come easy uh Bengals bomber jacket uh feeling <laughs> particularly burlesque today um but i i kind of want to uh, zoom out here as we're so focused in on the end of the season playoff push and, and potentially making a, a far deeper run than anybody was anticipating at the start of the season. 
um, it's really speaking to a, a greater culture change, not only in the fans, but in the front office as well. You know, we've seen the past two off seasons, they spend big in free agency and it works out pretty well on the defensive side of the ball. Now we're heading in with what, 60, 70 million dollars in cap space. And of course, you know, that that goes into Burrow and Chase and Higgins and everybody we're going to have to keep if we want to stay so potent. But I we've got battered tiger syndrome as Bengals fans. <laughs> You know, everybody's everybody's a little uh, hesitant of the future. Everybody's afraid to hope a bit. But when we uh, get down to all those re-signings, there's this conception of Mike Brown kind of underpays. And with Elizabeth Blackburn having more and more of a presence in that Bengals front office, and as we have more and more, you know, upper tier, upper echelon players coming through the building, Will we can like continue, you think, to, to try and play that low ball when we sign so many of these high-impact vets on one-year prove-it deals? Do you think we will say, hey, you have proven it, or do we just keep swinging free agency because it's working out pretty well? Uh, I mean, that's it's it's a really good question, Zach, and uh, I, I, pre- I appreciate it. You know, he, here's the thing. what I, I don't see a situation where – you know, the Brown family's philosophy is going to necessarily change. And I, I don't know that that's about lowballing. You can call it that. Um, they put their value of money on their evaluation that they believe fits and they stand by it. Sometimes that's more than anyone else is willing to pay. In the case of, you know, the Geno Atkins of the world, the Carson Palmers of the world, the, you know, the first, the AJ Green contracts that they gave out. I mean, they see the value and they stick to it. And then there's the other side of it where they believe your value is lower than you think. And maybe then some of the rest of the league st- thinks and they stick by it no matter, kind of no matter what. And, and that is a big part of, you know, I, what I don't think is going to change. Um, but they saw that value in Trey Hendrickson, in DJ Reader, in, you know, that I think they are going to trust that. I don't think it's necessarily about low ball. It's about trying to get the most and the proper value in every contract that they sign and give themselves outs on the background. So, so, so if, if you're asking if that's going to change, no, I don't, I don't think it is. I think they're going to continue to build the roster the way they were. And, and because they've been around for so long, you can look back historically. And I know Zach Taylor and his group are different, but they're, they're not different in the way that, you know, they felt like when they built the young core back at the at, you know, in the 2011 season with the Dalton Green era, they built in on the idea of draft, develop, retain. And, yeah, they weren't signing in free agency as much then. And I think that will be more part of now because the league is different. But I do think they are still very much at their core uh, going to be about retaining this young core they've drafted and focusing on that as they go forward. So all these guys. Their window is a couple of years here until they have to worry a ton about it because they have so many players under contract that are their big-time stars. But uh, I do think that they will focus on getting as many of them done, you know, as possible and, and, and you know, and dabbling in free agency supplementally. They don't have to gut the roster now like they did the last two years and go to free agency. So they're not going to feel as 
much involved in the first couple of waves in, in, in the Hendrickson's of the world, unless it's a spot that's really out there, they're going to try to find spots where they can find value always, whether that's in free agency, uh, or here. And I don't know if that directly answers the question, but I, I, you know, there, I don't think there's been some magical sea change here. Um, outside of they realized that the roster needed gutting and they didn't have answers on it. Yeah, that was it. They, they had no choice really, but to spend in free agency because the roster was so bad and, and and you, you had so many holes to fill and you don't have the draft picks and they had the cash to do it. And, and that's going to change now as you start paying more of these guys. And as far as low balling, I don't know if they're necessarily, if that's going to be in play, but you, you have to remember that this, if it, if they stay a team on the rise and, and you take into effect that, that into account that Joe Burrow factor where all of a sudden Cincinnati becomes an attractive destination, not just because they give you the most money, but because you think that's a real chance to go somewhere and be a part of something special and win a ring that p- players will be willing to come here for a little bit less Instead of just taking the the highest contract offered, um, it's I agree with Paul. It's it's you're not going to see this. It, this is what we've saw the last two years is not a philosophy change. It was more out of necessity. They just they had to rebuild that roster, and they just didn't have enough draft picks to do it that way. They had to go out and get guys. And I think the Burrow factor going forward won't be about uh, big names that come and take mm-hmm. less. I think I think it will be about if the money's the same, you know, you can win some of those battles. And more than anything, really those guys that slip through the cracks of free agency and that the money's the same everywhere because it's a prove it deal for two or three million dollars or something like that, where you see that every year there's a host of guys like, man, can't believe that guy was still around. And they latch on with somebody who they think they can help who's a contender. I think that's where you'll see the Joe Burrow effect going forward is a lot of those guys will want to come in and play here in Cincinnati. Whereas in the past, that would never be a thought. They would do what they'd go to new England. They'd go into Kansas city, they, all these places where they know they can go be on a winning team. Like that's, you see that every single year. Well, I think the Bengals could now all of a sudden be in that mix. And that's a big part of where you find depth of your roster and you do get bargains in free agency. So we'll see how that plays out. Let's keep it rolling here. And I'll go to the next question to Kevin M invite Kevin M on stage. How are we doing? Hey, guys, how are you? Doing good. What's Great. going on? Uh, two questions for you guys. First, how do you guys think Zach Taylor has grown the most since his first year as the Bengals head coach? And second, are you guys dog people or cat? <laughs> are there cat people? I know there's cat people, but I, I don't. I, I live with cat people. Oh, that's that's unfortunate. And and our uh, cat is nineteen and on its last legs, and we we thought it was going to happen yesterday. So this it's a tough day in our household. I'm ready. I'm ready to be pet free for the rest of my life. But but the the wife and my daughter are not in the best mood right now. <laughs> I well, I hate. I you know I don't want to go into like a cat dog thing here, but I I actually believe I grew up with a cat, uh, and this cat. I don't. I, I I actually like looked up the Guinness Book of World Records for oldest cat. Oh no! Like, like, my cat uh, lived to be like almost like I think it was twenty four years old. I mean, 
at the end, it could barely, I mean, it was every movement was just like a, was such a slog, right? And we fed this cat science diet every single day. And then we were like, you know what? My, I remember my dad writing the science diet people being like, you know, just to let you guys know, I think we may have the oldest cat ever. And, <laughs> and we fed it science diet every day. If you've ever would want something like this for like a commercial or something, or maybe there should be some sort of kickback. The idea that we've been buying this for, you know, two and a half decades and they sent a $10 off coupon. (laughs) So I was a cat person growing up, but I am very much a dog person now who uh, listeners to the listeners to the podcast may be aware when uh, occasionally the mailman tries to show up every single day and (laughs) there's much barking. Uh, The first question, what was the first question? I got all in the cat thing. Now, what was our first question about, about how Zach has grown the most as a coach? Go for it. I think it's just kind of understanding he's never been a my way or the highway kind of guy, but he was committed to his vision. And I, I do think that, that he's, he's shown some bend and he's, he, he's willing to listen to other perspectives. You know, he talks about him and Brian Callahan sharing a brain, but he, he has come off of some things. It was early on. It was, go for almost every fourth down. They, they, he still is aggressive, but he's dialed back on some of that. He was very reluctant to use 12 personnel at all early on. And we've seen them use more of that. I, I, I don't know if it's so much of, of listening to the suggestions of other people in the building or outside the building, or if it's just kind of coming to the realization that what you're doing isn't working and, and maybe try something new. And then you see it, that the new things start to work and you, you start building off of that. But I, I think it's just more just kind of the evolution of, of a coach and, and weighing good and bad and, and trying some new things and, and, and being willing to, to take, take some risk and, and try something new every now and then. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. I mean, well, it, I would also add that, you know, I, I think he's always kind of come across as the, the new school communicator, teacher, um, softer. Um, and I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way, soft. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, a gentler touch, more nuanced with dealing with people, which is a, a new school management in general across industries and very much the new school uh against the old hardcore yelling grizzled football coach both styles have their own value both have been successful in this league but that's just kind of who zach taylor is and i think he's done a better job as he's gotten more of his people around of being able to develop that interconnectivity between everybody. And we've seen that really grow exponentially this year, you know, and there's a part of it when it's not your guys, you, you have a lot of dissension and issue. And that was part of the deal the last couple of years. But as, so I don't know how much of it's been about having the right guys around him. That's brought that out a little bit more, but I do think that's been an area where you've seen just the respect and draw in the locker room that has followed him, I think, this year more so than ever before. And so it's probably a combination of reasons. But I, I mean, that, to me, that's the biggest evolution. I, we can talk X's and O's 
uh, all you want. And there's, you know, I think him backing off of his, like, I want to throw it all over the yard thing, um, mm-hmm. has been a, an evolution for sure. And willingness to, you know, to bang the run a little bit more and understand that he just can't let his quarterback continue to take that many hits. But I think anybody would learn from that after what you went through with Burrow last year, and he's still taking 47 sacks this year and they've dialed back his, his usage. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily look at that as much as what's happened uh, a little bit more behind the scenes. Uh, all right, let's, let's keep rolling here. I'll bring in uh, Jerry P here onto the stage. Jerry, what's going on? Hey, what's, what's up guys? Who day, who day, how you doing? Hey Jerry. Doing great. Merry Christmas to you guys. I uh, love everything you do. You guys are the best in the business. So thanks uh, so much for putting this on. Uh, two quick questions. So how do you think the Bengals approach the Chiefs from an offensive perspective? Do they go conservative and establish the run, feel out what the defense is doing, et cetera, which they've done several times this year? Or do they let it fly like they did yesterday? So interested to hear your thoughts. And then lastly, Jay, did you have an Arby's Christmas dinner this year? <laughs> I did not. I, I, I went there on December 23rd and, and got my fix on, you know, a little bit before Christmas. But I before the crowd hits, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Couldn't talk the family into it. You know, it's funny you talk about, I thought yesterday, I went on SiriusXM Fantasy yesterday morning and said, I expected this to be a conservative game plan that they they would think Josh Johnson can't beat them. Let's just not make any mistakes. Let's just run Joe Mixon down their throat. And that is not at all what they did, as everybody saw. So I don't know. I, 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 I don't know that you can beat the Chiefs playing that way. I think they have to come out. And, and maybe that was one of the reasons they opened it up yesterday is because they knew they were going to have to do it again in another week. So why not kind of learn on the, not learn on the fly, but get in that rhythm of being aggressive and going for it and going for it. And if I had to lean one way, I think we're going to see more of the same from an offensive standpoint. Now, maybe in this game, if they get a two touchdown lead, it's not so much keep the foot on the gas. Maybe that's when the conservative play comes in and they try to milk the clock a little bit more than they did yesterday. But it's it's so hard to predict these things. If it was easy, it would be a lot easier for these these the opposing coaches to figure out what the team was going to do. But if if I'm leaning one way or the other, I, I think they come out slinging it around. You, you said you were curious to to hear our thoughts. I'm curious to hear my thoughts too, because I haven't formed them yet. <laughs> I, you know, I I, I really I, I try to take the first part of today and kind of rehash where they're at and and look at some trends and think of some story ideas for the week, and then I like to dive in tonight and in early tomorrow into the into the film of the next team. And I actually feel like I'm gonna I'm ready to get a head start on that because I'm just so excited for this Kansas City game and really looking at them. I don't know, and I can't really give a, an honest answer on that yet. Uh, I look forward to doing that later in the week. For now, I, you know, it's hard to know. We're, we're so insulated. Um, and, and following the team and the teams that they're going to play, it'd be different if we were talking about a second game against the Browns or or, or this past week against the Ravens, have a better feel. Uh, but with Kansas City, I don't have a, 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 a real feel for what that dynamic's going to look like yet. I haven't started talking to people in the organization about that yet. So once I start doing that, I can get offer a little bit better thought. So sorry to not really have a very good answer on, on that, but uh, – I appreciate the question nonetheless. Uh, let's keep running through and, and try to fire through some quick here. Uh, Cam, Cam C, you are uh, up on stage. What's going on, Cam? Good morning, guys. Uh, <clears throat> longtime Bengals fan from over on the west coast of Canada. 
not very many of us out here. So uh, love it. I'm love still, it. Yeah, I'm still trying to check the box of coming out to a game. COVID's thrown a wrench into that, of course. So, uh, but uh, you know, my brother's a Browns fan, so we're loving the uh, the the storylines going into the last couple weeks of the season. <laughs> and I was chatting with him earlier about uh, yeah, go figure. Like yeah, we're both out here on the West Coast, no allegiance to Ohio whatsoever, but both Bengals and Browns fans. So yeah, um, Zach Taylor. Uh, I know I, uh, uh, one of the guys earlier that asked a question uh, stole my thunder a little bit, but I just want to build on what he was asking with regards to uh, you know play calling, and we you know we made a lot of listening you guys on your podcast too about uh, about taking the ball to Joe Burrow's hands uh, those two games where we were looking like we were maybe going to have a chance to win um, against the 49ers and. Uh, to a, to a lesser extent against the, the chargers. But, um, you know, did, did, was yesterday sort of Zach exercising his own demons about, you know, leaving the ball in Joe's hands against a team that was, you know, quite clearly overmatched and, um, you know, pretty fraudulent. If you ask me in terms of being a playoff contender, COVID had a lot to do with that. And so do injuries, but you know, the Ravens have tormented us in the past. Um, uh, do you think Zach, uh, purposefully, took it upon himself to, to leave the ball in Joe's hands to say, Hey, let's, let's see what you can do here. I, I owe you. And, uh, you know, let, let's see if we can't just make you the fourth or get you the fourth highest uh, passing totals in an NFL game in, in, in league history. Um, and do you think he's going to stick with that going forward? Because I love the gambling on fourth down. I think, I think Joe's got it. I think he knows to go off script if he needs to, um, I'm a little worried how stagnant he gets in the pocket, but at the end of the day, I think we got to leave the ball in his hands. I think that that's what Zach is thinking now uh, for the remainder of this season. Thank you. Good question, Cam. Appreciate it. Um, I'll I'll say this: I, I don't. I, I think they are very honest and forthright about the fact that they love that they have multiple ways that they can win, and they have one in multiple ways this year. You know, they if if they feel like your weakness is going to be stopping them in the passing game, they will spread them out and dice them up. And they did that yesterday, you know, they did that against Jacksonville, did that in the end against San Francisco, uh teams that had beleaguered uh secondaries. And then when they feel like there's teams that have really good pass rushes, and maybe you can exploit them with mixing and defense a little bit. They've played that way. You know, they, they did that against the Raiders. Uh, they did that against the Steelers. They did that uh, here against Denver. And because they're, they are trying to still trying to minimize their primary weakness, which is their, their pass protection. When other teams can, can get home and have four really good pass rushers and play coverage, it can be tough because their protection is just not good enough there. It's going to be their fatal flaw probably before. I mean, he's got 47 sacks. You're trying to keep a little bit. That's why they run it so much early on early downs. They're just trying to avoid any down where they have to drop back. And everybody knows they have to drop back because Burrow's going to have to either spin out of something or do some crazy move or take a hit. And they just want to avoid that to keep them being as efficient and moving the chains as much as possible. And it, it gets boring and monotonous and frustrating for a lot of teams, but it's ways they've found ways 
to win that way. And so I, I think they're more than happy to pick whatever they feel like that is for the week. I don't think it's a matter of this is, you know, who we're going to be and being stubborn about, okay, it's now time where Joe starts throwing it all over the lot. Um, I think they're absolutely very comfortable deciding what the best way to win is each week and understanding that if it is the conservative, more conservative approach we've seen and things go sideways, you can always turn it over to Burrow to let loose um, if, if that doesn't happen, which is kind of what they did in coming back against San Francisco, most notably. So I, to me, I do think it's it's not a matter of this is how we're going to be now. It's definitely still about let, taking advantage of the fact that they do feel they have multiple ways that they can win. And, and there was some of that, too, where the the keeping the foot on the gas and, and staying aggressive and all that type of stuff. It, it was clear that that Josh Johnson was moving that offense that they, they, for good reason, you can't feel comfortable against the Ravens. They played so many crazy games down to the wire at some point in the fourth quarter. Yes. You, you know, the game is in hand and, and they, they stayed aggressive, maybe longer past that point than what I would have expected. Yeah. I almost wonder if there was a little, a little something personal there with with Wink's comment um, last year about them kicking the field goal when it was twenty seven nothing. With Wink's comment about Joe Burrow, uh, just one of those situations where we're, we're going to show these guys we got a chance to bury them and we're going to do it. Um, but I I just I think it would have we would have I don't think we would have seen that exact same game plan if Johns, Josh Johnson had come out and and looked horrible and they go three and out on their first three series and, and the Bengals are just really taking them to it. I think then you would have seen more of the conservative approach, but I don't think, even though I think a lot of Bengal fans felt like they had that game, they were kind of on cruise control. I, I don't think the Bengals and the coaches ever felt that was the case because they've seen what Baltimore can do to teams and they just decided to keep the throttle down. I do not wonder if there was something personal. <laughs> thinking there was something personal with Wink, and it wasn't yeah. just his Burrow. Uh, and that that does go back, and I think it has been a part of uh, you know the dynamic for for them around here for a while. Let's let's try to sneak in another one here. Let's go, uh, Natasha B. Bring Natasha B. up on stage here. How are you doing, Natasha? Hey guys, what's going on? Hey. On my morning walk in Hawaii, enjoying this Victory Monday. Thank you. Oh my today. goodness, oh. that's un- this is really that's, that's unnecessarily bugging <laughs> it. I had a couple questions. I didn't mean to make this so uh, Zach focused, but my question is about Zach. Uh, last year, it just felt like everything was so coach speaky in all his interviews, and personally, I just thought he was boring. And I was like, yeah, might as well fire this guy. He's kind of boring, and they're not winning, but. This season just seems so different. He seems so honest, you know, pulling back the curtain on how his time management was at the end of games or how he regrets and he's going to sleep over some plays. And even yesterday, the heck no, we don't feel bad. He just seems like a much funner guy that you're kind of rooting for. And I was just wondering from an in-the-room perspective, you know, have you guys seen, does it seem as different to you guys asking the questions to him as it does to me? from last year to this year. And just a second thought, what do you think we can do to piss off Joe this week so he plays like that again? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are great questions, Natasha. And I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, now all I want to do is go to Hawaii. Uh, it, I'll say this. Here's the thing about we, Zach, I think, is different. I think he's because he is more confident in the team that he has 
around him. I, I, you know, he comes up from a communications background, you know, his wife has on that, been on that side of things. And he, he, he comes up in a family of coaches. Like he understands, he has a really unique feel for the media and the forward facing voice aspect of being a head coach. And I think that comes across as boring and coach speak when you just can't say the things that are really the problem the last couple of years. Now, Jay and I, and you know, people that have relationships and, and we, you hear a little bit more of the real feel of, of, of what Zach has been. And I think on, in, in many instances, whether it be on the podcast or in our writing, you've, you've seen that come through. And, and I think it's always kind of been there, but as a forward facing, more of a forward facing voice, it's been cleaner. Well, now there's just so much more confidence in everything they're doing and under and willingness to kind of, you know, there is a need to kind of stand up and, and fight for your guys uh, and understand what's going on there. And, you know, show accountability. He's asked many times for his team to have accountability. And I think he feels a little bit more comfortable in his position here to express that openly. And, you know, I, I think that's part of the evolution of, 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 of any coach, but most, more specifically one that is more confident in his standing, both with the roster that he has and what he's proven on, on the field to this point. Yeah, I agree with all that. And, and the one other thing I would say, you know, the last two years, they were so bad. And, and a, a lot of the questions were about what went wrong, what needs to be fixed. And, and when some, you know, if you're talking about a game that was in the past, he he is more open to talking about decisions that he made, why they worked, why they didn't. Now, as they're they're in this playoff push and, and so much more of the questions are kind of looking forward. He, he's not going to give away anything that's going to give the other team a competitive advantage. I think that's where you really see the coach speak kind of come in when he, he feels like he, he doesn't want to tip off the other team, but he had coming from the, the Marvin era. It just, it has been night and day about how much more open he has been and not just leaning on the cliche stuff. Um, I, I actually, I do. I, I, I kind of, I think it's the other way that where it's been a little more coach speak this this year than it's been in the past just because of that just because there's there's so much to be lost by being too open with big games coming up yeah and it's 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 an interesting spot where he's he's been winning and had his best season but still it's like the the second anything goes wrong it's always his fault right like mm -hmm. it's, it's the year of fire the coach here. It's not year of the quarterback stinks. It's not year of get rid of the coordinators. It was always, no matter what happened, going to be the year of fire the coach. And it's, you know, he's sitting here at nine and six with a chance to go from worst to first uh, in, in, a, you know, in, in the, in the North and, you know, not just on here, but I mean, really we see it every single day. He's always this constant topic of criticism and, and you know, that's, that's a tough environment to come up in, but he earned that environment by going six twenty five to one. So there's really you can't run from that, um, and I don't think he has. But it has made it interesting where it's it's he's always he does seem to be the topic and under fire um, quite quite often compared to maybe some years where the players are the ones that are taking a lot more of the heat, um, partially because players are good.
<laughs> There's no, no way around it. Uh, I, I wish we could do this all day and get to everybody's questions. Uh, but I do have to, we do have to wrap it up. We'll get into more, uh, drop questions in, um, you know, you can, you can email, uh, well, I'm going to have a mailbag this week. So if you have questions I didn't get to, uh, you can always drop those in there and I'll, we'll try to get to as many as, as we can, uh, pdaner at the athletic.com. And, uh, of course we'll have the podcast tomorrow and Thursday and then the walkout after the chiefs game and after the new year. So hope everybody has a great day and we'll uh, talk to you uh, next time. Have a good one, everybody.